Would you turn in your Bibles with me, please, to Titus? We are working our way through the book of Titus, verse by verse, and the last time we were in Titus, which was two weeks ago, we finished chapter one. So we're beginning chapter two today. You can turn there, Titus two. And as we get started, I'd like to point out the title slide that we have for this series. I haven't said much about it, but it is intended to represent a blueprint to suggest God's design. This is God's design for the church. And I guess I should define the church. What is the church? The church isn't a building. The church isn't an organization as such. It is the people. It is you. You are the church. So when I say God's design for the church, I mean it's God's design for us, individually and collectively. That's what Paul has been spelling out for Titus in chapter 1. How God wants the church to be organized, what qualifies someone to be a church leader, and how to avoid false teachers and false teaching. You may have noticed that Paul has been giving Titus lists. I counted 19 qualifications for elders and 16 descriptions of false teachers. And some of you may be thinking, oh, I'm glad that's over. We're finished with lists. No, we're not. These first 10 verses of chapter 2 are very much a bunch of lists. So is that proof that Christianity is just a bunch of do's and don'ts? Is that all Christianity is? No. No, but I believe what Paul is doing is explaining what right teaching is and what it looks like when it's lived out. I like that. I need that, and I suspect that you need that too. Let's stand, please, and I'm going to read Titus chapter 2, and I'm going to go ahead and read all 10 verses because they go together, but we're going to study just the first five today. This is Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who as an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. To be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we are grateful to have your word. We have it readily available to us. We can read it, we can understand it. What we don't understand, we have study aids available for us. And Lord, we have your Holy Spirit. We thank you for him, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he is the ultimate teacher. He is the ultimate author of this book. And Father, I ask this morning that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit, that I would be able to teach in a clear, accurate, bold way and that each person here, anyone joining us online, will be able to listen with ears to hear and a will to do. Lord, we know that your word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to pierce and divide. And Lord, I ask that you would do 
some spiritual heart surgery on us today where we need it. That you would convict us where we are sinning, where we are falling short. That you would give us grace to turn from that, to repent, and to receive your cleansing. But Lord, there are also some here today who need some encouragement. And I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, give encouragement from your word this morning as well. That we would endure, that we would trust, that we would love, that we would obey. Lord, work your will in us by your word through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I studied this week, my mind went back to a conversation that I had a few weeks ago in this very room with someone who attends our church. And he said, I like sermons that step on my toes. Well, if that's your heart this morning, then you have come to the right place. Because I believe that this passage steps on some toes. It stepped on my toes as I studied it this week. I believe that there's life-giving truth here for all of us. And that the Holy Spirit would reveal it to us as we study it together. A couple of questions for you to ask yourself as we begin this morning. Are you fulfilling your God-given role in the church? I said this is about God's design for the church. We are the church Are you fulfilling the role he's given you? And then, what does your behavior, your actions, what does your behavior reveal about your belief? I could have chosen one of probably three different words for our key word, but I'm going to go with doctrine, which means teaching. Doctrine appears three times in these ten verses. And I'll go and give them to you. The first one is in verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper, appropriate for sound doctrine. Verse 7. We'll study it next week, Lord willing. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. And then the last verse of this section, verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So we're going to talk about teaching. Paul is teaching Titus. Paul is teaching Titus what to teach and what to teach groups of people and what they're supposed to teach. So it's all about teaching and doctrine. And here are the two main points. These are going to be the same ones. Those of you who take notes, I'm sparing you some work because it's going to be the same two points next week. But here they are for the 10 verses. Number one, our beliefs determine our behavior. What I believe will affect what I do. And then number two, our behavior determines how others respond to our beliefs. How I act is going to influence what other people think about what I believe. Let's go back to verse 1. We're going to work through this, the first five verses, a verse at a time. Verse 1 says, But as for you, speak things which are proper or fitting or appropriate for sound doctrine. When Paul writes, that's the author, Paul is writing to Titus, that's the you, as for you, what he is about to say to Titus is in contrast to what he just told Titus about false teachers. Remember, he was writing a letter. It wasn't divided into chapter and verse. He's writing a letter. And he had just finished saying, be on guard against false teachers and their teaching. But as for you, so he's changing thought. He's changing idea. As for you, Titus, what does he say? Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So if the key word is doctrine, and I told you that means teaching, And this is all about sound doctrine. That word sound, at least as it's translated here in the New King James, sound appears five times in the book of Titus. And what that means is healthy. So anytime you see the word sound, particularly in this book of Titus, think healthy or wholesome. So sound doctrine then is healthy teaching. You with me? Sound doctrine is healthy teaching. And healthy teaching causes my behavior to match my belief. So what's inside is going to come out. But I need that healthy teaching poured into me so that my beliefs will be right and they'll come out right. A review. 
the pop quiz of the day, what is the theme of Titus? This is our fourth week. Anybody know what the theme of Titus is? Truth leads to godliness. Did he already put it up there? He sure did. But you did a great job reading it. He remembered it. Good. Some of you have it in your mind. You're just embarrassed to say it, I'm sure. Truth leads to godliness. Would you say that with me, please? Truth leads to godliness. Paul is saying, Titus, teach people what is right so they will believe what is right so they will do what is right. Right teaching leads to right beliefs, which lead to right actions. I just said the same thing about three different ways. I hope you're with me. That's what he's telling Titus to do. Now, what would you expect to come next? If he's going to say, speak what is in accordance with sound doctrine, what would you expect? Is he going to go off into eschatology? He's going to teach all about end times. That's the doctrine. No, that's not the doctrine he teaches. What about salvation and justification? Those are great doctrines. Maybe that's what he's going to teach on. That's not what he does either. Maybe it's going to be a treatise on the Trinity. Maybe that's what he's going to do. Wouldn't that be good? That's not what he does. It's not here that way. What does he do instead? He continues to describe, or begins to describe, rather, the application of doctrine. So he says, speak sound doctrine. But then he doesn't necessarily say the doctrine per se. He instead goes after, here's what it's going to look like when it's lived out. He gives instructions to Titus about various demographic groups within the church. The older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men, and then finally servants. Titus must personally teach all of these groups with one exception, and I'll explain that when we get there. And the members of each group must also teach and train one another, especially the older, to teach the younger. Now, if any of you think you might have misheard me right then, I just said that we are all supposed to teach. If you're a believer, you are supposed to teach. It's part of what is commonly called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. I'm sure many of you know these verses. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You do that by teaching. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So teaching is built into, it is part of the Great Commission. It is something that all believers are supposed to be doing. And we're not talking about, some of you just had a heart attack, I don't want to get up and talk to people. That's not what I said. I said teaching. And you can just as easily and perhaps better do that over coffee, in a one-on-one conversation or a small group conversation, because you are talking about and applying the Bible to your own lives. That's teaching, folks. And we're all supposed to be doing it. Now, I mentioned the different groups, so here's an outline of this section. You don't necessarily have to write this down, but maybe it'll help you know where we're going. In verse 1, Paul's talking to Titus. In verse 2, he's talking to the older men. In verse 3, he's talking to the older women. In verse 4, the younger women, into verse 5. And then one verse for the younger men, verse 6. We'll pick it up there next week. And then there's overlap there. Some people say it's all to the younger men. Some say it's to Titus. I I think it's kind of both. But Titus specifically in verses 7 and 8. And then finally a word to servants or slaves, which we are going to apply to our situation of employment, boss, and employee. So that's the way the passage breaks down. And in each case, I'm going to give you a chart. Not that you need to write this down, but I'm, I'm more visual. It helps me to see it organized. And so each group, that's the one for the older men that's in front of you right now, each group will have its own chart of who are these people supposed to be and what are these people supposed to do. That's how we're going to go about this. That brings me to verse 2. That the older men, this is what you're going to teach, teach what's appropriate to sound doctrine in order that, so that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound, there's our word again, in faith, in love, in patience. Now, if we're talking to the older men, we need to know who the older men are. And some of you are saying, oh, that's not me. And some of you 
are right. But this word is different from elder back in chapter 1. We did an entire section on the qualifications for elders, the leaders of the church. This word is used elsewhere in the scriptures. Luke 1, 18, Zacharias calls himself an old man. That's our same Greek word anyway. And then in Philemon 9, Paul calls himself the aged. Same Greek word. So what does that mean? How old is old or aged? Well, there are some Bible teachers who think, I've got this pegged, I've got this nailed. John MacArthur says it's 60. I listened to another pastor who said it's 40. Well, I'm between those, I'm 48. But I don't think it's so much about age. I think it's more about stage of life. That's what I believe, and that's how I'm going to present this this morning. These aged men, and in a few minutes we'll get to the aged women we're going to talk about, no longer have children at home. They're probably not looking for a college. They're probably not looking for a spouse. They're no longer involved in day-to-day parenting. So let me illustrate this a little bit. When we were in Maryland years ago, we had friends in ministry. They're on staff at the same church. And they're about the same age as we are. He's, I think, three weeks younger, and, and she's about the same age as Rochelle. The difference is they have two kids, and they started a little sooner than we did. So as of last fall, they were empty nesters. Their daughter was finishing college, and, and she's getting married this next year, and their son is away at college. So they're on their own. We have four children. We started a little bit later. We spaced them out a little bit more. And by my math, we're probably going to be empty nesters around age 56. We have a few years before this happens. So they're the same age as we are, but in some ways they're in a different stage of life. Same age, different stage. You with me? What then, if I'm saying that these are empty nesters, that's how I want you to look at them, or that general stage of life, what sets them apart from parents with children at home? And I'm going to suggest there are at least two things. A more flexible schedule and more life experience. What do I mean? Well, those of you who are empty nesters have important life experience to share with those who are younger. And you who are retired especially have more flexibility in how you spend your time. I don't believe God gave us that kind of freedom of time and perhaps money, just to use it all on ourselves. I think he gave us that opportunity in order to pour into others. And I'll try to point some of those opportunities out as we go through. I think that we, all of us, and particularly those who are qualifying for what I'm describing as the older men, and in a few minutes the older women, should invest more time and effort in other people because you can Now, I just described or began to describe who Paul's talking about and why he's talking to them, but who are they supposed to be and what are they supposed to do? There are two sets of three here. First word in the first set is sober. Well, we know what sober means, sobriety. Literally, it means abstaining from wine. But there is a broader definition, and that would include sober-minded, clear-headed, level-headed, having the right perspective of life. And these things are going to come with time and age and maturity. To have a right perspective of life, to see life in the right way. Second one, reverent. That also means noble. It means worthy of respect. Temperate. And again, I'm reading all this in the New King James, but you may have another translation with you and that that's great because that helps us understand if you have a new american standard with you you have sensible in that spot or my personal favorite esv translate this as self-controlled and if you read through this passage in the esv or i think the niv as well then every time this word self-controlled appears is translated the same way and that helps because we can see where it's the same this term temperate is how it's translated here, but self-controlled is what it means. This is the only term that the apostle applied to each category. So the men and the women and the older and the younger are all told to be self-controlled. And guess what? We saw that 
back when we were looking at qualifications of elders as well. So does that suggest that maybe that one's important? That was my other candidate for the, the key word of this passage because self-controlled comes up a lot and it's very important. I think I can summarize these first three with one word and it's balanced. If I tell you that I like to wear matching socks, you might think, well, that's good, Bob. That's nice. And if I tell you that I like to wear clean socks, then you would think, well, that's good too. But if I tell you that in order to have clean matching socks, I'm going to take each pair of socks and do a separate individual load of laundry with each one just to make sure, then you're going to think that I'm disturbed. So we're looking for balance. Even the good things we do, wearing matching socks, wearing clean socks, those are good things to do, become bad things if we go too far with them or do too much of them. I'm going to say that again. Even the good things that we do, if we go too far with them or do too much of them, become bad. When an older man is immature and focused on himself, he's not balanced. He's not taking life seriously. The activities he's engaging in aren't respectable. Or the amount of time devoted to his hobbies isn't appropriate. He's not managing himself or his time or his money well. And if there's anyone you feel like I just described you, and I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but if if that described you, what are you going to do about it? Will you repent and change with God's help? Let me flip this around the other way. Women and children. If your husband or your father is this kind of man, he's balanced, he's showing these attributes. Have you thanked God for him? Have you encouraged him and praised him? There's something for all of us to do in all of these, isn't there? Let's look at three more attributes for the older men. The second group, we could attach sound or healthy or wholesome to all of them. So sound faith, sound love, sound patience. What does it mean to be sound in faith? And there's a definite article there. Sound in the faith is what it says. Some of your translations will have that. These men were to be spiritually mature. How does that happen? How do I do that? Say, I'm an, I'm an older man. How do I be spiritually mature? You spend time with Jesus. Acts 4.13 says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. It wasn't about how much they knew, though they knew a lot. They knew the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. They knew the scriptures. It wasn't about the number of languages they knew because the Holy Spirit could take care of that for them. It was about spending time with Jesus. They had become like Jesus. And the religious leaders of that time took note of that, and they said, hey, these guys have been with Jesus. Is is that what someone would say about you? He's been with Jesus. She's been with Jesus. Can people see that in your life? Second one, love. And those of you who have been around the church or studied the Bible, some on your own, you know there are different Greek words for love. This is agape. So this is the kind of love God has for us. This is sacrificial, committed love in this context. Where do we get that kind of love? Not a trick question. We get that love from God. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Yes, we love him, But the fact that we can love anybody is only because he first loved us. If you lack love, if if you don't feel that or act on that, go to the source. Ask God for help. God, give me your love for this good thing or for this person. If he's commanding us to love, and we say, God, help me love, think he's going to answer that prayer? I do. Third one, patience. If you have a different translation with you, you might have perseverance or steadfastness or endurance. Where do we get that kind of patience? 
The answer is trials. <laughs> the answer is trials. James 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the test of your faith produces, oh, there's our word, patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's not going to be sinlessly perfect, but we will be grown up, we will be mature spiritually. How's that going to happen? How am I going to become patient? By enduring trials. By letting God teach me what he has for me in the given trial I find myself in today. It might be a big trial. It might be a little trial. Some of you in this room are going through types of each. We endure through that trial by his help, by his grace. And he gives us patience. Trials help us grow up spiritually. They make us more Christ-like. That's the plan. That's God's design. Now, Paul shifts his attention next to the older women. This is verse 3. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So again, I am treating this as older women are empty nesters. Whether they're working, whether they're retired, this group would also include widows or women who were never married. Now, there's a little word there, likewise. Don't skip that. Paul was saying that the next group needs to learn the same things that the first group did, but with special emphasis on these other few things. In other words, like the older men, the older women are to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Everything. He could have just put ditto. What I said to the old men for the older women and here's some more specifics for the older women. There, there are similarities, there are differences, but there are similarities between the different age groups and the genders, and there's certainly overlap in his instructions to them. So the first one for these older women, that they be reverent in behavior. Now, literally, that means fitting for the temple. It means, as one translation has it, living in a way that honors God. This would include what you wear. This would include how you carry yourself. So here's a simple question to ask, older women in particular and all of us in general. Does your behavior outside the church meeting place match your behavior inside the church meeting place? that's what it means fitting for the temple how do we act monday through saturday compared with when we come in together as a church on sunday second one not slanderers or the new american standard has not malicious gossips that catches it well doesn't it malicious mean gossip talking about somebody typically behind his or her back. To slander means to speak against. This Greek word is most often translated devil. It's the same name for Satan that means false accuser. So we all, this is geared toward the older women, but we all need to be careful what we say to other people and what we say especially about other people. Growing up, my parents, I can remember my grandma telling me this, my parents taught me to ask three questions before I opened my mouth and said something. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Now, I don't always do that, but those are three really good questions for us to ask ourselves. Is it true? If not, keep your mouth shut. Don't spread lies. Is it kind? If it's true but not kind, then I need to figure out a way to, if I need to speak the truth, I need to speak it in love. So is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Does it need to be said at all? I wish I always asked myself that question. Have you spoken against anyone this week? If you have, you need to confess it to God. Agree with him. That was sinful. That was gossip. That was slander. Please forgive me. And then you need to go to that person, perhaps. If you spoke 
to another person about another person, you need to make things right in the relationships, humanly speaking as well. Paul is telling Titus to instruct the older women not to be slanderers, not to be slaves is the next one. You say, where is that, Bob? Not given to much wine means not to be enslaved by wine. That's what it says. If you have a New American Standard, you have that too. Not addicted to much wine is what the NIV has. All of us in general... And the older women in particular need to keep ourselves from being enslaved by any substance. Whether that's alcohol or drugs. The things that are acceptable and the things that are unacceptable. So this would include chemicals, this would include nicotine, this would include caffeine. Finish these sentences in your own mind. You don't have to say them out loud. But I can't live without, I can't sleep without. I can't wake up without. I can't relax without. I can't get through the day without. If a substance came to your mind just then, really if anything came to your mind just then, consider prayerfully whether you are enslaved to it. I'm not, please don't misquote me. Y'all are going to go home. Pastor Bob preached that we couldn't drink caffeine anymore. That's not what I said. But I'm saying we shouldn't be enslaved to anything. So what I'm saying is, if your mind automatically went somewhere a second ago when I asked those questions, talk to God about it. Because we aren't supposed to be enslaved. And the older women, he says, should not be enslaved specifically to wine, is his context. Gossip and drunkenness commonly go together. And if we go back in our minds a couple weeks in our study, Cretans are always liars. They're always gossips. They're always busybodies. They're all lazy drunkards. Had some unkind things to say from one of their own poets. That's the culture. So many women in the Roman Empire, and specifically on the island of Crete, didn't have anything better to do than to gossip and drink and he's saying that's not for you if you're an older woman you're supposed to be an example teaching we're going to get to in a second the younger women that's where we are teachers of good things teaching what is good mature godly women should be capable teachers and again i'm not talking about standing up in front of people This is not public speaking necessarily, lecturing a class. We're talking about on-the-job training, life-on-life discipleship. This could be having coffee together while older older children are at school or while younger children play or take a nap. The focus shifts now from who the older women are supposed to be to what the older women are supposed to do. And what they're supposed to do is train the young women. What do I mean by training? Years ago, Rochelle and I were having supper in the home of a young, newly married couple and small apartment. I, I can remember it in my mind. I think we had to put a folding table in their living room so that we could all sit around it because we had a couple children, maybe two or three then. And they were talking, and he was in the military. He was in the Army. So he was relaying to us some recent training exercises. And he had jumped out of a plane and that kind of thing. And we thought the kids weren't listening. They were, they were over in the corner playing with toys or something. So he's talking about, this is what I did in my last training exercise. And all of a sudden from the corner we hear, I do potty training. <laughs> and we didn't know the kids were listening. So there are lots of different kinds of training. And I would dare say that some of the older women are expert potty trainers too. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? This type of training involves older training younger, more mature training less mature. What does Paul say these women are supposed to train the younger women to be and do? And in case I forget to say it, apart from this, this is the one group that I'm not directly responsible for, that Titus wasn't directly responsible for. It's not that I don't treat, train, teach younger women. That would be silly. But that counseling, that one-on-one discipleship, 
That's not going to come from just me. If there's a setting where I'm going to counsel a woman of any age, I'm going to do it with my wife. So there's care here. There's wisdom in what Paul is telling Titus. He's saying, hey, you teach everybody, but when it gets specific for what the younger women need to learn, the older women should be the ones that teach them. So this is, in that way, an exception. Let's see what verse 4 and 5 tell us. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. You say, I didn't see the word training. Admonish is our word for training. Admonish means encourage, teach, train, mentor. The ESV Study Bible puts it this way, to give instruction in wise behavior and good judgment. And if the older women are already doing these things, they have credibility. They have a good start in teaching this, training the younger women. So I've said a little about who are the older people, who are the younger people. How would we define that? Well, one description I found was that young women are women of childbearing and child-rearing age. Whether they're single, whether they're married, whether they have kids. It's that general age group. That stage of life. Warren Wiersbe said, the godly older women have the responsibility of teaching the younger women how to be successful wives, mothers, and housekeepers. And the younger women have the responsibility of listening and obeying. So the way I see it, the older women must make themselves available. They can't be so caught up in sports or hobbies or social causes or social media or Hallmark movies. Oh, I hit something there. Or their own grandchildren that they don't have time to invest in younger women. I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm saying don't let those control your life. And don't let them prevent you from doing what God's given you to do. Your role within the church family. The younger women must make themselves available as well. They can't be so caught up in homeschooling or their children's sports or hobbies or field trips that they don't have time to be instructed. Again, don't let the good become the enemy because it's done in excess. It's the moderation, it's the temperate, it's the self-control that we've been talking about. The older women have to be willing and the younger women have to be humble and teachable and both groups have to make this a priority for it to happen. For the older women to train the younger women, where does Paul start? He starts with love. He starts with love. Admonish them to love their husbands and to love their children. But guess what? This is not the same word for love as we had in the previous verse. This is phileo. The older men are commanded to be sound in love, agape, the Greek Word here, phileo, means family affection. Admonish them to have natural affection for their husbands. Here's a better way to say this, I think, in modern English. To like their husbands. To like their children. Now, why would Titus need to teach the older women to teach the younger women that? Well, remember the culture. The parents usually arranged the marriages You don't necessarily like the person you're married to, and they may not even have known some of them that they're supposed to like their husbands. I'm not aware of any verse that commands a woman to agape her husband or her children. And in my own mind, I think that's because it comes so naturally. That type of sacrificial love tends to come more naturally to women. But wives and mothers, do you like them? Do they know that? Do other people know that? If we asked your husband or your children whether you like them right now, this morning, what would they say? Now, don't answer that out loud. Maybe we should just stop and go around the room. No, we won't do that. If they would say no, you have some work to do. Ask God for help and then ask an older, more mature woman to help you and if they would say yes then praise God and teach the younger women what you've learned
Next one, discreet. Another word we don't use very much. Discreet. Same word as temperate in verse 2, which means it's sober-minded. It's self-controlled. Second time we see that. So I'm asking you to consider carefully what you eat and how much you eat and what you drink and how much you drink and what you watch and how much you watch and what you read and how much you read and what you say and how much you say and how you spend your time and how you spend your money because the answer to those questions as you seriously consider those questions that's going to answer how you're doing in this area of self-control older women younger women do you tend to lose your temper quickly and discipline your children in anger or give your husband a piece of your mind all of these areas are affected by self-control and it is not limited to women by any means but this is the context that we're looking at right now in all of these issues in all of these strengths or weaknesses God's design is having an older, wiser, more experienced woman speak into your life and disciple you. And his design is so much better than what we would come up with. It's better than hearing it from me. It's better from hearing it from your husband or some other man to allow an older sister in Christ to say, hey, have you considered this? Have you tried that? Life-on-life discipleship. Chaste is not a word we use, but it's a pretty straightforward concept. It means pure. Probably means morally pure. Pure of mind and heart. And then we get to homemakers. What does that mean? It means workers at home. It means busy at home. It means caring for the home. This does not mean, I am not saying that women can't work outside the home. That's not what this says. That's not what Paul was saying. But it does mean that a wife and mother's highest priority lies within the home, caring for her home and those who live there. I really like what Tim Chester wrote in his commentary. The call to be busy at home is not said just to counter the temptation to be lazy at home, but also to counter the temptation to be over busy elsewhere. Before we got married, Rochelle worked. After we got married, she worked. After we had Monica, she worked. After we had Carson, she took 10 years off. And we talked, even while we were dating, as we were getting more serious and considering marriage. It was important to her, and it was important to me, for her to be able to stay home with our kids while they were young, particularly before they went to school, to have that time with them, for her to be able to invest in them. And I'm very thankful for her and and the discipleship she has had of our children. What goes along with that homemaker, and some people think it describes it, is good, which means kind, good-natured, kind-hearted. There's a verse in Proverbs 31. Most of you recognize Proverbs 31. That is the virtuous woman passage. But there's, there's a verse there that I wish applied to all of us. I wish we could all get this down. But this is the virtuous woman, Proverbs 31, 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. You open your mouth, and out comes wisdom and kindness. Boy, could we do that? That would be so wonderful if we would be controlled by the Spirit and open our mouths with wisdom and kindness. So several of these concepts overlap with the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You know this passage as well, probably. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do these sound familiar? Does this overlap? Yes, it does. Against such there is no law. Now, we saved the most controversial one for the end. We've already covered homemakers busy at home. Obedient to their own husbands. What that means is subject to, submissive to their own husbands. And in our modern society, there are a lot of people who bristle against that. And let's just admit, there are many marriages, far too many marriages, in which a husband, father, abuses that authority. That's true. That happens. And a wife need not follow her husband if she's telling him to, he's telling her to do something illegal or unethical. We have other examples in the Bible that would 
prevent that from happening. But this is in a typical situation. She is supposed to hear some synonyms. These are from different translations and paraphrases. Putting her own husband first. Willing to serve her husband. Respecting the authority of her husband. Yielding to her husband. Following the lead of her husband. Cooperating with her husband's leadership. That last one is close to what Wearsby has in his commentary. I think that captures it. Cooperating, responding to, we could say, her husband's leadership. Another study of Bible said, submissive to their own husbands means supporting their husband's leadership role in the family. Are you willing to follow his leadership? Are you willing to build up his leadership by example and even by your words with your children? Now, one more clarification here. Women in general do not have to obey men in general. That's not what it says. And a wife is not subject to any husband other than her own. We touched on this a few weeks ago. Women are not inferior to men. Male and female, he created them. In his own image, he created them. You say, well, I don't like this. Okay. That's what God wrote. And, and maybe this will comfort you a little bit if you think of it this way. Jesus is God the Son. He's equal to God the Father. You agree with me? He is God. But he submitted. He obeyed. He did the will of his Father. Does that make him less? Does that make him inferior? No, it does not. It is the arrangement of the Godhead. Uh, for our example, children obey your parents. In this case, fathers, husbands are the head of the home. Read Ephesians 5, folks. It's not like they're off the hook. They can, they can rule their own castle. Who's the head of the man? God, Christ. So men, we better be following God, and women are supposed to be following their husbands. Wives, I will say, should be following their husbands. Now, what's the point and purpose of all this? I, I appreciate you all have listened well. This has been a little longer than normal, and there's a lot here, as you can tell. But this last statement spoken about the older women teaching the younger women gives us the so that. It gives us the purpose of this whole section that we've done so far. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Again, what does blaspheme mean? To speak against. So that it may not be dishonored. That's the point. Older men and women who have walked with the Lord for some time should not have sin habits in their lives. To do so is to to deny the power of the gospel they claim and to prevent unbelievers from believing God can truly save them. If I'm a grumpy old man, a dirty old man, nobody can stand to be around me, nobody would ever know that I have a relationship with Jesus, what is that doing to my testimony? It kills it. It's non-existent at that point. If I were an older woman who talks about everybody and everything all the time and and drinks myself drunk on a regular basis, what kind of testimony am I going to have? Non-existent. So what is the purpose of all of these recommendations, requirements, attributes of So far we've covered the older men, the older women, the younger women, and if you feel like I haven't gotten to you yet, okay, next week is the younger men and any of us who are employees. So we're going to get there. But what's the point of all this? That the word of God would be lifted up, magnified, proven true in our lives in front of other people rather than discarded, spoken against. So we'll pick up there next time, and we'll continue to see how our beliefs determine our behavior, and our behavior determines how others respond to our beliefs. Now, today has been addressed almost exclusively to believers. But if there's anybody who's joined us online, if there's anybody in this room that you've never put your faith in Jesus, you can do that today. See one of us after. Let's let's talk about it. Let's see from the Bible what God says about how I can have forgiveness from my sin and eternal life with him. And believers, are there sin habits in your life? Confess them to God, forsake them, and then find an older brother or sister 
an older believer, to help you walk through the process of change. What does that look like? How do I do that? I don't even know. Ask. Look around the room. You may have a family member or a close friend who walks with the Lord. Seek his help and seek another person's help. Are you focused on yourself and your ease and your comfort? Or are you focused on your responsibility before the Lord to teach and to train others? Especially those who are younger than you are in years or younger than you are in spiritual maturity. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In a moment, I'm going to pray and close this part of our service. But I'd like to give you a matter of seconds. I know it always seems longer, but less than 30 seconds probably is what I'll wait. But I want to give you a chance to pray and ask God what he has for you. What is he specifically wanting you to do or to stop doing or to start doing this morning in response to what you've heard? Our Father, we pray that at whatever stage of life we find ourselves in, that we will follow your design. Lord, I pray for those who are in that older stage that we would be examples that we would have these characteristics not because we're so good or have such good willpower but because you have grown the fruit of the spirit in us as we've walked with you Lord I pray for those who are younger that they would be teachable. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to any of us sin that needs to be confessed and forsaken. And Lord, that we would also be quick to praise you and to praise your working in the lives of those around us, in our church family, in our immediate family, who are representing you well. Please continue to work your word into our hearts that it would bear fruit this week. In Jesus' name, amen.